We need to be invested as human beings into each other's lives and really pay attention to each other's health and uh, sustainability and spirituality and all that good stuff. Don't just wait for miracles to happen from nowhere because they're not going to happen. You are the miracle. You are the person that needs to create the change. Hello. Welcome to Troublemakers. Hello. I'm Mark. And I'm Paul. We have a good one today. Derek Kayongo. I've known Derek for uh, at least a decade. Um, and we've been blessed with the fact that he's joined Pixel Recess as our head of diversity inclusion. And we're also, Paul. Debuting his own podcast, too, on this. Our very own Pixel Recess podcast network. I know, runs off the tongue. Uh, and a show that will be called, that's called Included, where he'll be interviewing executives and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies about how they're approaching diversity inclusion in their companies. So this was a, a good conversation. Any, uh, any thoughts, Paul, thinking back over what we talked about? Uh, other than I could listen to Derek talk forever. No, <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, it's just wonderful. It's a wonderful listen. It's a lot different than other things you've heard other people say for sure. So Derek has a really fascinating story. He was a refugee, founded something called the Global Soap Project. He was a CNN hero. He was the CEO of the National Center for Civil and Human Rights. Uh, we're really excited about this one. So enjoy. Here's our conversation. Hi, how you doing? I'm very well, guys. How are you doing? Derek, I, I think uh, a lot of people who would be listening probably already know a fair amount about you. And we're certainly thankful at Pixel Recess that you chose to join us as our head of diversity and inclusion. Talk a little bit about your background, particularly in light of the fact that we're trying to talk about making good trouble. It, you come from a family of good troublemakers? Yes. <laughs> I'm originally Ugandan and I, most people know Uganda through the wonderful lens of Idi Amin, who was mm -hmm. a reprobate leader who destroyed our country literally after independence. And my parents were both teachers in the beginning, right after independence, but then they changed and morphed into entrepreneurs. And by doing that, they were able to teach me a little bit about business. And at the age of five, I joke all the time that my mother was teaching herself how to sew wedding gown dresses and she didn't have mannequins for flower gown dresses. So I was the mannequin which is where I dress better than most American men. That's right. That's right. You still dress like a mannequin. <laughs> I am a mannequin. <laughs> My dad then taught me how to make soap. He was a soap maker. And I also owned a printing press. So that's how we began. And then obviously the war began and destroyed all the businesses. And we left the country to become refugees in Kenya, where my dad put me in the hands of an American woman from Pittsburgh to raise me. But then he went back, talking about troublemakers, he went back to fight Idi Amin. He was uh, offended by the fact that we had lost everything. He said to me, Derek, the, the only way a man can show his brevity, uh, his braveness rather, is by actually facing the challenges before him. And so I said, so what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to fight Idi Amin. So he went back and fought in the war and they overthrew the, the, the government and he became a uh, a member of parliament or what you would call a congressman here in the US. And my mother began the hard work of building the women's movement or as you call it in the US, femin the feminist movement in my country. So that was their troublemaking. They both did very well. On my end, I then came to the US to go to school 
and I landed in the US, I discovered something really crazy, which we'll talk about later on. And that was that I found out that American hotels have in their rooms three bars of soap. Yeah, so this is an interesting story for me because this was a new experience for you, right? To go and stay in a a nice hotel. And instead of just enjoying yourself, (laughs) you you decided that you'd find a way to make some trouble. (laughs) And the trouble here was that I did not, I could not believe, because my father made soap and I knew something about soap, but I did not believe that there was facial soap, body soap, and hand washing soap, plus shampoo for your hair. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> so I, th- I figured there's no difference between this bars of soap. It's Americans being bougie, but the rest <laughs> of us in the world don't have facial soap, body soap, mm-hmm. and hand washing soap, and shampoo. And so I would steal them, put them in my bag, and every evening they would bring brand new bars. So I said, you know what? And then I realized that they're going to charge me for these bars of soap. So I took them back downstairs to the concierge, and I said to him, hey, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I've been stealing your soap, but take it back to housekeeping, tell them not to charge me for it. He burst out laughing. <laughs> he said, are you African? I said, of course. Because we are all Africans. And uh, this, he said, are you Nigerian? I said, no, I'm Ugandan. And then I realized that Americans all think we're Nigerians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Americans. So that was my troublemaking. I stole those bars of soap, gave them back, and then discovered a good idea out of it that American hotels throw away 800 million bars of soap every year. That wow. is 2.6 million bars of soap every single day. We lose about 2 million kids every year to poor hygiene, mm-hmm. women die during childbirth because midwives don't wash their hands. So I figured, okay, first with these two facts, two big facts, death and the throwing away of soap, I figured my troublemaking here would be to go and recycle these bars of soap and give them to mamas back at home. But those companies don't want to hear that. They, large corporate America is not usually thrilled with being approached with uh, uh, waste and death. And, and yet you went and made that trouble and turned it into an opportunity for you. And frankly, an opportunity for those companies. I went to the hotels and I told them two facts. One, when you throw away that soap, it goes into your waste bags or your trash. Soap is one of the heaviest things you throw away. So we were able to mathematically extract the amount of soap each hotel throws away and then turn that into a figure in terms of how much would West Management, as a company that deals with trash, charge you for throwing away that many pounds of soap? And I said, if you give it to me, you will no longer have that as an expense. But then secondly was the issue of the environmental waste. When they throw that soap into the, the, the landfills, it slows down the, the biological process of breaking down the, the trash because the germs responsible for breaking down the trash are killed right. by the chemical, which is soap. So there was an environmental argument and also a cost argument. And then there was the corporate social responsibility piece. The soap is going to help mamas back home. That's a great story. So that's how we were able to convince them. Hmm. Did you yeah. feel like you were did you feel like you were just chasing opportunity or did you feel like you were doing something that was uh, potentially costly even to you or that required any kind of bravery or yeah, I think that all those things are important. I needed a, purpose, a purposeful thing to do in my life. We all have jobs and we enjoy our work, but some of us don't get satisfied by just going to work every day at a nine to five. 
there, there seems to be no sort of purpose there that has a legacy that you can leave behind. So I figured one of the things I needed to do, just like my father did, which was to have a purpose and go fight in a war and fight back to bring peace in my country. Mm -hmm. I, I really admired that. And so I was not going to be a hero like him, but I could be a hero in a different way. When was all of the, what, like, how old were you when your parents were being active in trying to get back their country? So, yeah, I was, I was in my teenage years at the time. Okay. Wow. That's pretty informative too. Do you feel like that affected you? And what, what kind of way do you feel like that affected you that they were doing that at that time in your life? First of all, I think that the whole idea of a child, a young kid being in the middle of a war yeah. is just a bad thing. It, yeah. it just, it's just horrible. We had a curfew. We had, I, I was, my village and I were terrorized every day gunshots every night and people screaming and there was no electricity. The infrastructure was all gone. So growing up in that environment is very traumatizing. And I think that a lot of things that I, I deal with sometimes in my personal life have to do with the trauma because I, we don't get to go to a psychiatrist to be helped. We don't have that. So you just deal with it. But the other thing, uh, it, when I saw my parents doing something about it, rather than just being victims, right they really actually did something about it. That sort of gave me this incredible hope that, okay, mom and dad is fighting the war to bring back peace. That's a good idea. Mom is helping women and uh, dealing with gender issues and diversity. That's a good thing. So I, I, I was with parents that were actually civically involved and that was really helpful. So that was really powerful for me. Did you take a lot about what your mom and your dad were doing to transition into working businesses and CEOs out here with how they can address another issue that needs to be tackled with diversity and inclusion? If I'd never been included, if I'd never been given a chance to come to the U.S. and given a chance to, to learn how to do business, recycling soap as an idea would have probably never been discovered. Right. <laughs> that's the power of inclusion and that's the power of diversity. So that's what diversity and, uh, and inclusion does when you, so that's what I'm really focused on right now is to figure out how do we get corporations to have a diverse group that can start to see the marketplace and see the fullness of the marketplace mm -hmm. in a 4D sort of way versus this idea of everybody's the same color, the same college education, the same neighborhood. That's, that's not diverse at all. Can you do some some definition work for us? It feels with everything that's gone on in the past several yeah. e years, particularly sometimes in the corporate sphere, has become a category. And, and therefore, when things become categories, people stop defining what they mean. <laughs> they make them check boxes. And so if, if you could do some definitional work for how, how we actually need to be thinking through it, that would be helpful. Yeah, so let's look at the basic de definitions, and then I'll, I'll talk about some of these things later on. But what is diversity? Diversity has been defined as individual differences, e.g. personality, learning styles, life experiences. And the group of social differences are e.g. race, ethnicity, class, gender, sexuality, and all that stuff. The issue here in terms of how we are looking at each other is that we, we, when you find somebody who is different from you, you immediately either think they're important or less important, they're contributors or they're not contributors. What do you see as the biggest challenge going from talking to doing? 
So th- this has to start at a very young age because it's a, it's a for me it's a sociological problem. It's a humanistic problem. Mm. We teach kids to become biased and to become afraid of the other. Parents need to start teaching kids to understand that people of color are, are human beings, that uh, women are, are important human beings, people of disability are important human beings, homosexual people are human beings too. So if you start to teach that at a young age, chances are it will be easier for corporations to then have this wonderful decorum that we're looking for. But we are where we are right now. Right now, if you're a corporation, I think the most important thing is to really help employees understand the the negative part of discrimination. And I Mm -hmm. call that the discrimination cost index. DCI is where we use mathematics to showcase how discrimination hurts corporations and the marketplace. So this comes in forms of lawsuits. That's the negative side that we have to look at. Corporations have to really start to educate their employees and say, look, if you are biased against women, biased against homosexuals, and it comes out and we are sued, you will actually be a negative force in in our environment of work. So that's one. Number two is every CEO today should be in the business of developing a culture of equality in their corporation. And what that will do, it will bring new voices to the table that are innovative and entrepreneurial. And I'm telling you to not have minorities in in the C-suite is to not have innovation and entrepreneurship in Mm. the C-suite. So that's what we're looking at right now. They, They really have to stop the platitudes and really be involved in the measure of actually doing. And so it sounds like what we're saying is that there's really... Diversity inclusion does a couple of things. Number one is it creates opportunity inside the organization. Like you, you will be a different kind of organization. You'll be able to pursue things you wouldn't know to pursue otherwise. You yeah. will o- operate better. Like you, you will be potentially more successful. You'll be more successful than you would have been otherwise. At the same time, um, ignoring it in general and particularly behaving badly in specific can create all kinds of problems that will cost you money, will cost you hard dollars and lawsuits and lost business and boycotts. I don't, I don't think corporations are trying to act badly. I think they're acting thoughtlessly yeah. sure. where they're not thinking about what they're saying. Yeah. And and w- w- what we are trying to do is actually to say that I, I came up, so I came up with a discrimination cost index as a calculation mathematically. And then I came up with another idea. It's called a corporate moral aptitude. Mm. A corporation that has moral aptitude has not just a, a decided understanding of uh, diversity and inclusion, but also corporate social responsibility, being involved in the community. That is a corporate a corporation that is morally uh, astute and, uh, and smart because the more moral aptitude a corporation has, the more trust it engenders mm. from the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think that you are behaving badly as a corporation. Let's say, for example, you guys remember back in the day where uh, American consumers said to ask, who makes your product? And people figured young kids, they're not going to school, they're making your product. Okay, if they do, you help them go to school. No, decide to actually evade corporations that were not morally 
aptitude driven. So there's a real direct correlation between a corporation that has moral aptitude and that is thoughtful to Paul's point and uh, how that translates into the, this idea of trusting your product. Because if you behave greatly, that means what I'm consuming from you has been handled with great measure and uh, intelligence. Well, I, I liken it to a system is like a road. Yeah. You know, it has a destination. You might change everything along that road, but it's still going to the same place. Correct. Unless you build a whole new road or, or completely redo it, which is a lot of effort. Yeah. It's a matter of just being conscientious. Uh, I, I have to, when I came to the U.S. for the first time, I had to learn your culture. I really had to learn the culture to be a part yeah, of We it. have culture? I'm not sure yeah. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, just, I, I realized that if I did not learn the culture and the isms within the culture, that it would be very hard for me to participate in the culture. Mm. And it's important for, especially for white Americans, to really understand other people's culture. And it comes to most of my Af- my American friends, white American friends, have never read an African American novel before. Read Maya Angelou. Mm-hmm. These are beautiful stories that the, these people have. Or go to an African American church. Yeah, it's wonderful. So those the road that you're talking about, Paul, those roads that you need to construct, cannot just be always coming to you. You right. need to construct roads that are going to others as well. Yeah, And I'll give you an example. Uh, I was doing diversity and inclusion training for a company. And one of the ladies, I asked everybody, what has been offensive uh, to you in your workplace? And this Asian lady, she was from China. Uh, they brought her from China. The corporation brought her from China to come work in the U.S. As, on an exchange program. And uh, she said the the team that she joined was all white men, and they were they, they, they teased each other, they they had jokes of each other, they called each other names. So one day the guy says, "Oh, we have a name for you," and she said, "What's my name?" They said, "P.F. Chang." Oh. And she said, "Oh, okay. What does that mean?" They said, "We'll show you." They took her out for lunch to P.F. Chang. Now it sounds funny and it's, it was, it doesn't sound funny, funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh. but she was devastated. Yeah, I guess so. She was totally devastated. What you said was Im- important though, in, in relationship to the other, that when, when you came here to the United States, you felt the yeah. need to, to adjust yourself to the existing culture that's here, right? So that Correct. you could be included. And that's a really important difference between diversity and inclusion is that you can, mm-hmm. as a corporation, have diversity, but your culture cannot reflect the culture of inclusion at all. And so it's entirely possible for all that diversity to step into your maybe largely male, largely white dominant culture and feel like its only option is to adjust. Right. Yeah. 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 So for example, when people say we have a company retreat and you end up in the same places that, you know, African-American people will be like, wow, what what the heck is this? I hate something. I hate sandwiches, but I eat them because we we are company retreat. (laughs) Company retreat, and we once at once have some rice, Uh, chicken. Sure, (laughs) Um, I've never even thought about it. I I do like me a sandwich, though. You know? Oh my goodness! (laughs) Company retreats reflect inclusion. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Employment pipeline uh, recruitment should represent inclusion. So surveys, companies develop surveys that are gender biased or yeah. that are disability biased. Right. 
and they wonder why they, they, when they get the results back, they're not uh, inclusive of the voices that they have in the corporation. So it, it, it's this anatomy of unpacking the whole ethic and culture of the company and saying, can we do a, a quick assessment of how we want our culture to look like? We need to be invested as human beings into each other's lives and really pay attention to each other's health and uh, sustainability and spirituality and all that good stuff. Don't just wait for miracles to happen from nowhere because they're not going to happen. You are the miracle. You are the person that needs to create that change. So I think that at, at this particular juncture in the US and in the marketplace, the question is going to be, are corporations really going to be serious about the well-being and welfare of minority groups? And are they going to involve them in the process of development and expertise? I, w- I want to talk about the, the podcast because I'm excited about what you're going to do. But first, I want to ask one last question on both the troublemakers piece and the diversity and inclusion piece. And it's something that I'm frankly been struggling with. Part of the reason we decided to do this podcast to begin with was everything that's going on. And I, I started yeah. noticing that, I, that I, I don't really necessarily believe any differently now than I did previously. But I've historically been, frankly, a bit of a coward to speak out about those things because I thought it would cost me something. I thought it would cost me reputation or it would cost me probably not that, but it might cost me money where I live, right? To to speak out on some of these things. And and that that cowardice, frankly, started to really bother me. And, And so part of what I'm trying to get people to struggle through and would like you to say something about is that we always make these arguments and I understand why we do and they're fine and they're right and they're justified. That yeah. things like diversity and inclusion, for instance, will do the things we just talked about, right? Like they'll, through the competition, you'll get better. And through the yeah. inclusion of, of, of differentiated voices, your corporation will appeal to more people and function differently. You'll build trust yeah. in a different way. You'll lower your risk profile. And yet part of me wants to say, I don't care. That's not why I'm doing it. You know what? Guess what? If, it, if I was less profitable than if I hadn't, it's... I feel like it's the right thing to do and I'd do it anyway. Yeah, I think that and that gets us back to that moral yeah. argument. I don't know that I could be happy with myself if I watched somebody suffering every day and passing by them and just ignoring the whole suffering. For me, I think that when a human being suffers, I think the whole body of humanity suffers. The oppression of one person is the oppression of all of us. So I think that when corporations deliberately ignore the question in the house that they operate, they're not just ignoring the person, but they're also ignoring a segment of business that is waiting to be explored. So if you really care about the business model that you're working on, and it's based on numbers, specifically just numbers, then you're really doing yourself a disservice by just ignoring a very key part of your business. And that is morality. This question of morality within corporations is an old question. I'm just saying that we should have a role for morality at all costs. Yeah. That's the fundamental problem. Yeah. I'll call it a problem with America is that it's one, win at all costs two, money rules, everything, which is, I think it goes back to the fact that America has this fundamental individualism, profit at all costs. And I think it also goes with diversity. When you were talking, I was thinking that I have heard more than a few people who are terrified of inclusion because they believe that 
for to include someone means that they have to disinclude themselves. That mm-hmm. for me to give the advantage to someone else is to mean that I get a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Like they don't believe that it's a big enough table. There's only five seats at this table. I'm not giving up my seat. Yeah, and uh, but uh, and and the fear is understandable. I think it's understandable that issue of I I'm going to open up this opportunity for somebody else, and I may not be able to get that opportunity as well. But if you go back to the logic that we were using, that the more people you serve the more the marketplace grows bigger. So it's actually yeah. not a shrinking issue. It's, a, it's an expansion issue. It's an ex- expanding <laughs> organism. Like it, it, the more it, people you let in, the stronger it becomes. It doesn't become <laughs> weaker or the same. Yeah. For me, I think the worry that we have right now is that those corporations that are going to be left behind are the ones that just will not be able to adapt to developing cultural roads, as you yeah. mentioned, Paul, into this new market that is waiting, literally waiting. The more you speak out, the more you champion the cause of equality and uh, inclusion, the more you help all of us get better. You're launching a new podcast called Included. Mm-hmm. I think that the, this conversation around inclusion is a new one in, some, in so many regards. So it needs a lot of discussion and discourse from different voices. We need to hear from white folk what do you think about inclusion? What is scary about it? What is driving this idea of you running away from it? But we also need to hear from minority groups, what does inclusion mean to them? Inclusion has to come with responsibility and accountability on, on both sides. It's not just an issue of meeting the, the goal. It's also an, an important piece of understanding what these things are. But we also will look at the different isms that are out there. I'll be defining things like gender expression, gender identity, genderism, identity internalized from homophobia. What do those things mean? And do people know what they, they look like? Because most people, especially white people, stay away from this conversation because they don't know even what the definitions are. When you say systematic racism, I don't know what that is. What is that? I've never heard of it. So it will be a podcast that helps educate people in depth on these issues. And we'll be hearing and interviewing very high level people, CEOs, vice presidents, even local regular people, directors, regular employees, uh, so that people can really see where diversity and inclusion sits in our country today. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to seeing what amazing conversations you're going to have. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're yeah. going to do well. And then we'll have heated arguments and we'll have, you know, <laughs> calm conversations, wonderful conversations, controversy. So all those things are going to be part of it because the subject matter is such that it's very loaded and needs to be unpacked. Corporations are changing culture. Corporations are learning to be more inclusive. Government is learning to be more inclusive. That inclusivity is what I'm very hopeful about. It's 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 moving. Like Paul said, we couldn't be more thankful than have the opportunity to work with you on this. Mark, thank you guys, and Paul, thank you so much for being a part of this. I really think we're going to do well. 